The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock. The Beast of Dolby Hall. Chapter One. I am not unusual. Indeed, I suspect that were I to be observed for any length of time, I would be considered normal in the extreme. I am of average height and looks, and my taste is for moderation. At heart, I am a rationalist. It seems to me self-evident that the world ticks along like an enormous clock. The moon and sun sweep over the earth like hands across a clock face, and the whole celestial display, the relentless working of an enormous but predictable engine. It is to my bewilderment, then, that God has not managed my life to conform to the same pattern. For who would be winding and oiling this cosmic machine but God himself? For reasons I do not understand, he has decided that for much of my life, I should be denied the comfort and security of order, and should instead be confronted by the agents of chaos. In particular, I mean the horrors of his creation. In our day-to-day -day continuance, we may be totally unaware of the more extraordinary of God's creations, but they are there nonetheless, and in your heart, you know it to be true. We all do. Like me, you sense that we inhabit a world forever teetering on the lip of destruction and the fall into darkness. None of us seek terror. We do all we can to avoid it. We spend our entire lives fleeing from nightmares, glancing behind us or searching through the trees ahead for danger, hoping that we can find the safety of home and the refuge and the reassurance of a locked door, hoping that there will be protection, that there will be a watcher at our gate, grim, solitary, and vigilant, waiting for the monsters that will come. I would like to tell you that I am that Watcher, that I can defeat and destroy the terror that pursues each and every one of us. But that would be a lie. My story begins at the turn of the century. I was born in 1900 in the county of Westmoreland. I was an only child in a respected and well-connected family, and my early years were comfortable, safe, and uneventful. Even as the world passed through the paroxysm of the Great War, I was detached and ignorant of life beyond the walls of the house. I showed no particular promise at school, and no distinction of any kind. I was young, foolish, and quite hopeless, both in terms of finding gainful employment and as a citizen of the world. My father, the colonel, being my only parent and the only authority in a position to despair at my inactivity and vacillations, called upon an officer from the old regiment to take me on as an apprentice bookkeeper at his manor farm on the North Yorkshire Moors. And so, 
I found myself at the age of 22, embarking on my first adventure from home. I stepped off the train at Cropton. It was a small, unmanned station, far from village or town, and I could find no assistance nor any means of further transportation. Although it was late in the year and very cold, the day was bright and clear, and I felt the swell of optimism in my breast as I strode out onto Cropton Moor. I assumed that Dolby Hall would be close by, and I congratulated myself on saving my money by walking the short journey to the house. However, my luggage was ridiculously cumbersome, and it was soon slowing me to a crawl. In truth, after twenty strenuous minutes, I could go no further, and I sat down, puffing next to my cases and bags. My hands were numb, and the cold began to creep through to my core. The moor spread out menacingly around me, and the sun began to dip. My initial optimism had disappeared. I felt helpless, defeated, and very cold, and I had no idea what I should do next. Good God! What on earth is that? Um, is this Cropton? Um, it's a cello. Well, that'll be the first cello ever to be seen in Ellerbeck. What else have you got there? There was no one at the station, so I thought I could walk it. Then you're a fool. You've made less than a mile. Here, give me that. Oh, thanks. I'm most grateful. Stuck out here alone with a cello? You look comical. Oh, yes. Pass me your bag. Yes, thank you. Virgil Kaylock. I'm trying to find Dolby Hall. Is it far? I know who you are. I've been expecting you. Rufus Elwood. Captain Rufus Elwood. A handshake is a ritual no different from those employed by dogs or cats or field mice. It determines in a second who is the superior. I was left in no doubt. And how's the Colonel? My father is very well, thank you. He sends you his regards. Also, he sends a letter and a large wheel of cheese. Splendid! It's not so far. Get in! Very kind of you. Thank you. I wouldn't want to be the one to tell the Colonel that his son and heir had perished on the moor. How far have you come? Me? Where have you come from today? Oh, Harrogate. But I left Windermere on Tuesday. You're not a city boy. You should know better than to lose yourself on the moor. I was on the road. I should think so. You're shaking. No, I'm perfectly fine. Uh, concerned. It was getting dark. Not so dark. Not yet. Yeah! The carriage bounced a muddy path for a mile or so and brought us to Dolby Hall, an isolated, large, bleak, square building sitting defiantly upon the moor. The few trees that managed to defy the wind cowered by the grey walls. It was almost dark as we pulled up at the portico. And this is home. No lines of adoring staff to applaud you, I'm afraid. We'll have to make do. But here's Mr. Carter. He'll give us a hand. Bandit, get down. Down, down, boy. Yes, yes, you muddy fool. Down, down. Do you, do you like dogs, Mr. Kaylock? This is Bandit. 
He's more of a clown than a dog, aren't you, eh, you silly old thing? Go down, down. Mr. Carter, uh, this is Mr. Kaylock. He's our new bookkeeper and a fine musician. Please make him welcome. Sir, good boy, good boy. Yes, down, down. Mr. Carter did not make me feel welcome. He was a lean, sandy-haired man who moved more slowly than you'd expect from his stature. His grim face, working hard to avoid any eye contact at all, seemed to resent my appearance. That's a cello, Mr. Carter. Don't drop it, sir. He helped with the bags and took the carriage off without another word. And then we entered Dolby Hall. Elsa! Elsa! Come and see who I found limping across the moor. Elsa! No sign of Elsa. So surprised. Hang your things there and come and get warm. This way. Yes, thank you. It was not an unpleasant house. It appeared to be well-maintained, and there were the usual collection of comforting acquisitions, vases, paintings and furniture, but it all seemed rather grey and tired. In short, the house had clearly seen better days and was in need of fresh paint. Rufus Elwood strode ahead through the house. He was an imposing figure, he had a military bearing that made full use of his height. It may seem odd, cold and dark at first, but that's because it is. I dare say you'll get used to it in no time. I never will. Mind the step. Oh, thanks. And here is Mrs. Briars who will fix you up. Mrs. Briars, this is Mr. Kaylock, our young apprentice. I found him perishing on the moor. Good day, sir. Oh, bless you. You look like you need a place by the stove. Come in and settle yourself. Yes. Thank you. I was grateful for Mrs. Briars. Her kind welcome felt like a warm blanket, and for the first time I felt at ease. It was a large, traditional kitchen, hung with pots and pans and all manner of drying herbs, and thick with the comforting smell of food. Sit yourself down, Mr. Kaylock. Tea? You want it strong? Course you do. I've got some on. Mrs. Bryars, can you show Mr. Kaylock to his room and we'll have dinner as soon as he's ready? Yes, sir, of course, sir. And I will drag Mrs. Elwood to the party. I can't imagine what she's up to. Excuse me. There. Drink it while it's hot. You'll be warmer by the stove, Mr. Kaylock, and I have a leg of lamb and an apple cobbler cooking for your supper. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mrs. Bryars. I can tell you I need it. That more got the better of me, I'm afraid. Oh, it will, sir, without a doubt. A change of clothes and some food is what you need. I must say, I'm looking forward to that cobbler. Food to keep the chills out. That's what you need when it turns cold. When did you last have a meal? It was in Harrogate this morning. I had breakfast. Well, you're here now, and there's plenty. We'll shut the wind out and settle in. Top up your tea. Thanks. Bandit seems happy enough. <laughs> Oh, he'll not move from the warm unless he has to. He's chained up outside at night time, so when he gets the chance to sit by the stove, he stays put. He's a guard dog. He's a soft pudding. Mrs Elwood spoils him, though I dare say he could give as good as he gets if need be. You hear him barking at things in the night, heaven knows what. You put yourself in danger, Mr Kaylock. Sorry? You'll not spend time on the moor if you're a wise man, especially after dark. No, of course not. Why not? 
Because it's a moor, Mr. Kaylock. Bogs, mine shafts, sudden drops. In the dark, you could come upon any number of unfortunate mishaps. I was on the road. Yes, I hope you were. We've lost too many on the moor, Mr. Kaylock. I see I'm going to have to keep my eye on you or your mother will never forgive us. <laughs> she passed, actually. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Mr. Kaylock. Do forgive me. Really, thank you. There's no need. It was long ago. I didn't know her. Well, bless you. Now, finish that tea and follow me and I'll show you your room. Thank you. That's kind. I unpacked, changed, looked out my window and saw nothing but black, heard nothing but the groaning wind. I felt utterly alone. I waited for an appropriate time and began my search for the dining room. It was unlit as I entered, but there was someone moving in the darkness. Hello? Ah, Mr. Carter. Sir? Good evening. Lighting the candles. Didn't see you in the dark. Certainly gets dark, doesn't it? I mean, in the country. At night. At this time of year, in a room with curtains. Have you worked here a very long time? I expect you know everything there is to know about Dolby Hall. No. And you arrive on time, Mr. Kaylock. Good, I like that. Do sit down on your way, Carter. Elsa will join us as soon as she is plucked up the courage to find the staircase. Bandit! Out! We are eating. Out! With the compliments of my father. Ah, the cheese. The wheel of cheese, yes. He sends you his warmest regards, Mr. Elwood. Rufus, please. Do sit. You'll have a drink. Thank you. He spoke most enthusiastically of your time together in the war. And a letter, too. Excellent. I was fortunate to be under his command, Virgil. I, I'm sorry I can't call you Virgil when Mr. Kaylock sounds so much more impressive. Uh, your father was a great man, is a great man. Thank you. And why are you not in service yourself? Surely the Colonel expected it? I fear I'm a disappointment to my father, Mr. Elwood. Uh, Rufus. He did indeed want me to be an army man. But the cello was your calling. No, no, not at all. It's a hobby. I'm really not that good. But I think I may have been even worse as a soldier. You lack an aggressive instinct, it's obvious. I can't blame you for that. I think you may have spared yourself a lot of anguish and pain. But you have also turned your back on glory and the knowledge that you have served your country. I... Well, I... No one is free who has not obtained the empire of himself. Right. Pythagoras. Ah, yes. I am a war hero, Mr. Kaylock. Yes, yes, I know. Not that it has any benefit out here. Uh, top up my glass, would you? Yes, of course. And how long has this been your home? A year ago, we enjoyed the pleasures of Bristol. Attractive house, friends, life. Damn shame to leave it behind. One year feels like an eternity. And why did you leave? And then she appeared. Elsa Elwood stood in the doorway. She was much younger than her husband, with black hair, 
and pale skin and an air of abashment. She seemed confused and unsure whether to enter. Her eyes flickered across the room from Rufus to myself. She looked as if she might make a greeting or a remark, but then, perhaps, her confidence deserted her, and she looked to the floor. Elsa, say hello. Don't you stand there? Uh, Mr. Kaylock, Mr. Virgil Kaylock has fought his way from Lake Windermere on a cello. He requires a cheery welcome. Mr. Kaylock. How do you do? Good Lord, is that the best you can do? You must excuse Elsa, Mr. Kaylock. She's overawed by anyone with or indeed without a personality. I thank you for your hospitality, Mrs. Elwood. You're very welcome, Mr. Kaylock. I hope you will be comfortable here. Right. So, this is where you say, please call me Elsa. Mrs. Elwood sounds far too formal. And you say, thank you, Elsa. Please call me Virgil. If you'll excuse me. No, you don't. <coughs> you are not excused. You stay and greet our guest. Apologies, Mr. Kaylock. Elsa runs away. It's what she does. And it's a big house. She'll run off and get lost one day. Shall we sit? Sit. And now the dog's back. Good God. Out. Out. Rufus. I am sorry. Am I cruel? Do you think you can forgive me? We were talking of the Colonel, my dear, and our adventures. Here we are. Game soup. Thank you, Mrs. Brass. Thank you. Thank you. The Colonel is my father, Mrs. Elwood. Colonel Kaylock. Yes, I have heard all about the Lancers. I'm not cut from the same cloth, I'm afraid. You are your own person, Mr. Kaylock. Yes, I suppose so. And how is your mother? My mother? Yes? She, uh... She died in childbirth. My birth. His mother is dead, Elsa. He did not know his mother. I am so sorry. Elsa, will you stop petting that damn dog? We are eating! It's disgusting! Most of Mrs. Briar's excellent dinner is eaten under the table. Uh, you must understand, Kaylock, that Bandit is Elsa's child. It was the best she could do. <clears throat> we are lucky to have you, Mr. Kaylock. Our grasp of finance is in short supply. I'm hoping to come to grips with it, Mr. Elwood, to help if I can, but I'm not an accountant. I've really only just begun. I don't know so much about bookkeeping, actually. Sorry. Well, try not to disappoint me too soon. I promised your father that I would find you employment. But you'll need to find some enthusiasm, some pluck. Yes, of course. Sorry. Actually, I know nothing of bookkeeping either, so we should get on pretty well, don't you think? In fact, I know little about farm management at all. Just as well, sheep pretty well take care of themselves. But you have your staff. Seasonal workers. They don't stay. I am the one who has to live here. I am the latest Elwood in a long line of Elwoods to end up wasting my life in this damp hole. I thought I could avoid it. Sadly not. I see. I keep the place ticking over. I'm not a farmer. I inherited Dolby Hall. It's the family curse. It sat here on Cropton Moor since time began, sucking the life out of each new generation. 
So you, you can play that thing? I'm sorry? The cello? Well, yes. We can't wait to hear it. Do you give recitals? No, not really. I just play for myself. Well, we won't let you do that. A cello at Dolby Hall is a rare thing. It'll be as if a three-ringed circus has arrived. You'll have to play for us, you know. I'm not that good, really. Nonsense! Look, Elsa is thrilled. She's bored out of her mind, poor thing. Trying to keep her alive in this damp corner of hell is a daily battle. A concert might be just the thing. We're pleased to have some new blood. I generally don't play for other people. Elsa plays. I used to play the piano, Mr. Caleb. Absolute nonsense! You play beautifully. She is a trained pianist, Mr. Kellogg. I should like to hear it. No, no. And you will. We will have a concert. No. Yes. Something to do. You can practice. But I can't. Yes, yes, you can. We will have a concert. I'm sure Mr. Kellogg will oblige, won't you? We'll find nothing much else to do. I'd be delighted, I think. Good. Mrs. Briars. You can take this now. I would rather not, Rufus. How do you like leg of lamb, Mr. Kellogg? I like it very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Briars. Yes, sir. Mrs. Briars can cook. I'll give her that. You'll find her fussing about, but she can cook. Thank you, Mr. Elwood. Rufus. She can. I don't want to play. Well, what else are you going to do? Stare moodily out of the window all day and all night? You don't sew or paint or make jam? You don't do much of anything. You might as well perform for us. Excuse me. Run! Run away, Elsa! Run away! Hide if you can! She's cross with me. Ah, well. She's a beauty, Mr. Kaylock. But as shy as snow in August. A little scared mouse running for the wainscoting. Forgive me. We'll trap her, Mr. Kaylock, and tame her if we can. Elsa! Elsa! Mouse! You hide yourself well! I'm coming! I will find you! Elsa! Elsa! It's too easy! If I follow Bandit, he'll lead me straight to you! I was left shocked by this encounter. I didn't know how to understand this relationship. In my dull and sheltered life, I had not experienced the strange and Byzantine distortions of marriage. I ate the remainder of the meal alone, and in confusion made my way to bed through the dense black silence of the house. I slept badly, disturbed by the sounds of the wind buffeting the moor and pulling at the walls and windows, sounds that in my half-sleeping state resembled the low tones of a man's cruel words and the faint cries of a broken woman. In the morning, Elwood introduced me to my office. An oversized desk in a small room with small windows. A box of candles were supplied as recompense for the dingy light that ambled in from outside. And work began, after a fashion. I had little understanding of farm management, but the accounting seemed simple enough. I waded into sacks of receipts and bills going back several years to the time of Elwood's parents and began to record expenditure in an enormous ledger. It was exceptionally boring work, but at last it was work. I was alone for most of the time. 
My dinner with the family on the first night proved to be an exception. My mealtimes were spent in the kitchen, and although it was now clear that I was considered more a servant than an equal, I was relieved. I was less nervous in the company of Mrs. Briars, and even the taciturn company of Mr. Carter was preferable to the strangeness of the Elwoods. Yet unease filtered into my soul like the dim daylight through my window. Unease, unseen and unspoken, but as present as the moor that surrounded us. Beast of Dolby Hall, written by John Ram. Virgil Kalock was played by Nicholas Bolton. Rufus Elwood, Sam Dale. Elsa Elwood, Emma Pallant. Mrs. Briars, Rachel Atkins. And young Kalock, Daniel Fraser. The music was composed by Neil Brand. The strange tales of Virgil Kalock are supported by the Arts Council Lottery Fund and produced by Martin Malone, Richard Varman, and John Ram. It is a Kalok production. <laughs>